Good morning. Uh, I want to say that Dave Christie is going to be updating us on our church finances this coming Sunday, uh, the 16th. And uh, in light of that, and this was not planned this way, it just fell upon the right days. Today we're going to be talking about what God has entrusted to us and what we can do with it. Turn with me to page 677 of your pew Bibles and hold your place there. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents in the Gospel of Matthew, found in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And as you're turning there, let me say that God wants us to use his gifts, not to hoard them, and to be willing to take wise risks with his money. We're urged to do something with what God has entrusted to us. And uh, let me say that before we get into this, Mary Fairchild, in an article titled, How Heavy Was a Talent in the Bible, outlines for us some details on this ancient currency measurement, which Jesus uses in this passage. The talent which, uh, which he speaks of, and I thought that was very helpful. So she says that the talent was, the, was first mentioned in the book of Exodus within the inventory of materials used for the construction of the tabernacle. We can see in Exodus chapter 38, verse 24, where it states, All the gold that was used for the work and all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents. Now, we don't even know what a talent is, right? But a talent was an ancient unit for measuring value in Greece and Rome and the Middle East. And in the Old Testament, a talent was a unit of measurement for weighing precious metals, usually gold and silver. And now in the New Testament, a talent was a value for money or coin. The talent was the heaviest or the largest biblical unit of measurement for weight, and it was equal to about 75 pounds. Now we can imagine the opulence of the crown of King David's enemy when he took it and placed it on his head. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 30 says this, David took the crown from their, from their king's head, and it was placed on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold, and it was set with precious stones. That gives new light to the term, the weight of the crown, doesn't it? <laughs> In the book of Revelations, chapter 16, verse 21, we read that a great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, which gives us a better picture of the crushing fierceness of God's wrath at the end of days. The New Living, Living, Transi the New Living Translation says it this way, there was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. Now, some modern Bible scholars equate the talent with 100 pounds rather than 75, calling it the talent of 100 weight. Um, in the English Standard Version, for example, Revelation 16.21 reads this way, And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Now, in the New Testament, the term talent meant something very different than it does in our English today, doesn't it? The talents that Jesus spoke of in the parable of the unforgiving servants in uh, Matthew chapter 18, and also the parable of talents, which we're looking at today in Matthew 25, referred to the largest unit of currency at the time. For example, 10,000 talents owed by the unforgiving servant would come to at least 204 metric tons of silver. That's an astronomical sum. According to Nave's topical Bible, one who possessed five talents of gold or silver was a multimillionaire by today's standards. 
Now, some calculate the talent in the parables to be equivalent to 20 years' wages for the common worker. Others, other uh, scholars estimate more, estimate more conservatively, valuing the New Testament talent somewhere between $1,000 to $30,000 today. Still a lot of money, right? Knowing the actual meaning and the weight and the value of a term like talent gives context and understanding and perspective when studying the scriptures. Realize as we read Matthew 25, 14 through 30 in the NIV translation, it translates talent as a bag of gold. So just realize that as you're reading it. But it begins this way. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and still to another one bag, so one talent, right? Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown or gathered where I have not scattered seed? Now, just a side note, I think he says that very sarcastically. Like, who are you to know that? And, and, and almost like offended at the accusation, you know, something like that. Verse 27, Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want us to understand that Jesus is teaching on what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And one illustration of the way that God rules his kingdom is as a master entrusting his property to his servants. Now, in this case, it's money. A Roman talent, remember, was the top tier of the currency tree there. So the master gives money to his servants, unequally distributed. They, all, they don't all get the same thing. One gets five, two, and then one. And the point isn't really the amount, but what they do with it. But the amount does show the great responsibility of this thing, right? So often we, you know, often we as Christians go through life with sort of an attitude that God can have my life, sure, but not my time or money, right? <laughs> 
But here we see that even the money that you work for at your job is a gift from God. That our money is not ours, no matter how we come about it. It's a gift from God, and it is one that he has entrusted to us. The next takeaway, I think, is that God wants you to do something with the money that he entrusts to you. Don't just say thanks and do nothing, right? Imagine you, you have a child, and on their birthday, you buy them the exact toy that they've always wanted. And it requires no batteries, no assembly, and you give it to them, and they kind of set it off to the side at that moment. And a week later, you ask them if they're enjoying their toy, and they say, no, they haven't even looked at it. They haven't even played with it. That would be confusing since that's not a natural reaction to a very desired gift, is it? God doesn't want us to receive his gift of money and then do nothing with it, right? The parable seems to imply that God wants us to step out in faith with the gifts that he gives us, to take a leap of faith with his possessions. Two of the three servants doubled the money that the master had given them, and presented the original sum plus their earnings back to the master upon his return. Both of them are rewarded for their work, but the third servant dug a hole in the ground and buried the money. He did nothing, and he earned nothing. And he rebukes that guy, right? The master rewards those who took a risk and punishes those who do nothing. Maybe Jesus is teaching us that God wants us to take risks with the gifts that he gives us, including the money that he gives us. Now, the obvious objection is you might say to, say to me, I, I have a family to provide for, financial obligations to keep, you know, be reasonable, Pastor Jason, right? Well, that's true. After all, the Apostle Paul writes very sternly in uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that's, those are harsh words, right? But sometimes our objections to give generously and taking wise risks are, are actually rooted in just fear. Life always involves risk, and fear can paralyze us into inaction lest we make the absolute perfect decision, right? Remember, the third servant said, I was afraid. He was governed by fear. He was afraid to do anything with the gift that he had been given. He hoarded it rather than making wise choices and trying something risky. So let me ask, is your understanding of God rooted in his revelation of Scripture? In other words, do you really believe that this is God's word, that he is speaking to you through it? Do you live in fear about how to proceed with the gifts that God has given you? Or are you willing to go and take careful, biblically informed risks with what God has entrusted to you? You know, a time will come when God calls us to account for how we have managed, managed what he's given us. Did we hoard it or did we invest it for his kingdom? In the parable, after a long time, the master returns, and we notice that he never said how long he'd be gone. We never know also when Jesus will return or when we might be called home before that. But that will happen. And when the master returns in this parable, he assembles his servants and they tell him what they've done with their time and their gifts, which begs the question to us, 
What are we doing with our lives? Is it just an endless cycle of monotony with no real purpose about it? Are we actually living for God? Are we glorifying Him with all of our lives, every little bit of it? What are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? Are we taking risks? Are we seeking to grow the kingdom of God or just ours? Now, a key point not to miss is that the servants give everything back to God, everything back to the master who represents God in this parable, including what they earned. So when we spend our money, we have a chance to put it towards something which grows the kingdom of God. And I would urge you to not let fear paralyze you into inaction. Today is a day when a decision can be made to take a risk with what God has entrusted to you, to the end that when you see him someday, when you stand before him at the end of days, you can say, Master, here's what you gave me, and this is what I have done to grow it for you. Now, for most, Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 is just a very familiar story that we gloss over. But it is a passage, however, which has been taught and lived out in new and interesting ways in a few churches in recent years. Let me ask you, how many churches do you think would be very comfortable practicing this parable by actually distributing money to Sunday morning worshipers and telling them to go and invest it and bring back profit? Not many, I don't think, right? But two churches have done just that. And the rewards in those churches have been both financial and spiritual. Let me tell you about them. In March 1996, as one church was finishing a three-year fundraising campaign, three laymen, unaware of each other, they had not talked about this, they sensed that God was leading the church to fast-track its movement onto 142 acres, which they had purchased back in 1991, four years earlier. They had purchased that for $575,000, and it lay there fallow because they didn't have the millions that they needed to uh, build on it. And so during a testimony service, each one of those three men shared what God had been saying to them. And for the rest of the congregation, it was very convicting. They all flocked en masse to the altar to seek forgiveness for not being obedient to giving as they believed God had directed them to be. Now, the pastor knew that this project was large. It would require several million dollars more than they had, all, that they had already raised, and, and it include, included maybe another long fund drive, which he, any pastor is not into doing that, believe me. And add to this that they were committed to uh, building debt-free. So while praying, the pastor felt God impressing on him to implement the talents parable to teach about stewardship and raise additional funds for the church project. So the pastor preached on Matthew 25, as we're doing today, and the ushers uh, stood up and they gave out $10 to each person that was high school age or older. To junior high school students, they received $5, and elementary school children all received $1 each. In all, they distributed $15,000. Several laymen provided all that money so as not to take it from the church budget, and all were intended to, be, uh, to invest their money and then return it with a profit plus the original amount given. 
So some members used their talents to make crafts for a church craft fair, and they sold things at it. A first grader put her dollar towards lemonade mix and offered lemonade to golfers on a golf course near her home. The uh, course rules forbade selling or soliciting, so she just displayed a picture of the planned church buildings, explained it to the golfers, and they started giving, and her $1 grew to 126 Even several visitors returned money to the church. They were visiting that day that the money was handed out. They got some. They moved back, went back to where they were from, including one couple from Texas who sent back $240. Now, hoping to keep the congregation above reproach in the community, the pastor included in the church bulletin that day the Ten Commandments regarding talents, which I believe he made up. And... uh, For example, here are a few of them. The fifth commandment tells participants to render services that are exceedingly and abundantly above expectations. In other words, whatever you do, do it really well, right? The first commandment warns against using the talents in any venture that would dishonor the Lord or the church. So, you know, don't go to the racetrack and gamble it away. Uh, Another one said, thou shalt not do anything that would become an irritant to your neighbor's or family or friends, and I like that one. And though the congregation was enthusiastic about the unusual sort of stewardship project, the pastor reminded them that it wasn't simply a gimmick to get money, right, to raise money. So weeks after distributing the talents, he presented grace bracelets to, to all the church members with multicolored beads on them that each represented spiritual concepts such as sin, eternal life, Christ's uh, atonement, uh, his resurrection, things like that. And then he urged them to go out and share Christ with those that they had met through their fundraising efforts. And the bracelets apparently were very effective, especially among teenagers. One top executive in a large corporation even wore his uh, with his business suit on, displaying it among employees, sharing the gospel with them, in management meetings, sharing the gospel with them. I'm not sure many of us would do that. One couple who wore theirs on, on an overseas missions trip were greeted in a foreign airport with, you people must be Christians. I see your bracelets. I guess they were familiar with that. And then finally, on I think it was October 6, 1996, when the in-gathering was taken, when everybody was supposed to bring back the money to the church, church members returned $400,000 from the $15,000 that they had received. And the pastor said it was phenomenal how the Lord worked. It wasn't like, oh, brother, here we go again, another building campaign. It was, I've got to do something with this. It was exciting to everybody. And he believes the project was successful because of four factors, but I'm going to add one. I'll give his first. First, the church was praying earnestly. Second, that they were willing to give generously. Thirdly, they assumed congregational responsibility. In other words, he said that the burden had shifted from his shoulders to theirs, right? Uh, That they really regarded this as a church project and not a pastor thing. And then fourthly, the church was enthusiastic and united. But I would add another one. And I go back to that day where they flocked to the the altar to repent. They were repentant. They saw their their mistake and they were repentant before the Lord. And that makes a big difference. Now, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Salina, Texas, also felt impressed to put the parable of talents into practice, mainly to involve children in a building program that he was doing. 
And he said, I do a lot of children's sermons. I want to make them feel a part of it. I want it, uh, that, that it was their project too, that they could help. And so one Sunday from his own pocket, he gave $3 each to about 40 children, hoping for a tenfold return. Instead, he got a 14-fold return and he got $1,500 back. Pretty cool. You know, many of them put out lemonade stands and made crafts. One four-year-old and his brother combined talents and designed a church t-shirt and had a silk screen company print a sample. And then they took orders for 31 more shirts and they returned about $250. Several adult church school classes got involved also and the fundraising attracted several families to the church because of the way that it, it uh, involved the children. And he said the project made everything that we were doing more visible to the community. So let me just say that maybe God will lead us to some such creative endeavor, but it must be by a leading of the Holy Spirit. It can't just be another copy project that we start, right? You know, I have another friend who owns a 10,700 square foot home here in Bryn Mawr, and she called me this week to discuss something. All her children are grown and the house is just way too big for her and her husband. And she wanted to discuss with me if it could be used for something like a single mother's home or a place for refugees or foster kids. She wanted to use it for ministry. And we are currently discussing those possibilities. So she is taking what God has given her to explore how to use it for his glory. Now the logistics on this project are steep. Where's financing going to come from? Who'd live in the house, uh, in the home as a director or a house parent? What organizations will we partner with? So on and so forth. Do we need grant writers? Things like that. Maybe uh, you can all be praying that God would confirm and lead in these discussions and thoughts. But God wants us to use his gifts, not to hoard them. To be willing to take wise risks with his money. So we are urged to do something with what he's entrusted to us. Are we hoarding God's gifts for ourselves or are we investing them in his kingdom? Are we paralyzed by fear or maybe wallowing in indifference? Or when Christ returns, will we be able to say confidently, Master, this is what I gave you or what you gave me and this is what I've done to grow it for you. I urge you this week to be prayerful in preparation for Dave's report next Sunday and to be thinking, what is God's leading for myself and for our church? And maybe he will speak to you in some creative way to see yourself and our church stretched in our faith. God bless and have a great week. Amen.